This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Thank you all for uh, this, this long ride that I hope was as, as interesting to you as it was to me. And uh, I'd like to just say, say a few words to, um, as closing remarks. Uh, using the, the, uh, the images from our past symposia to summarize what I think we have learned. We have learned that we learn a lot from comparing other animals, be they horses, whales, ravens, or wolves. Uh, there is uh, big messages in understanding the ecology and the behavior of our fellow um, inhabitants of this planet, and so comparative ethology, uh, using experiments in the wild and in the lab, is, it will continue informing us. We find new fossils. More importantly, we find new contexts for the fossils. We heard about these new drilling uh, programs that give us uh, pollen profiles and uh, paleoclimate information. Interestingly, we have ancient DNA that allows us to travel back in time, so to speak, and get glimpses. Ironically, we now have complete genomes of life forms that only exist in the form of a pinky bone and a tooth, the Denisovans. We still don't know how they looked because we don't have a single Denisovan skeleton, but we have the genomes in high quality. And we can combine this information with high-quality genomes of all our closely, um, closely related relatives and compare the incredible dynamics that happens in these genomes with almost shuffling of decks with duplications of sequence, large sequences that contain functional genes that have done so differentially in each lineage. We can reconstitute paleo diet by uh, using uh, stable isotopes, calculus from teeth. We get a view into what our extinct relatives used to live on and how they fuel these really expensive brains and the, this long dependency of their slowly developing infants and manage to shorten the birth interval even though their kids are so costly. This, of course, involves others in the group. It involves changes in, in, in mating systems and in pair bonding and in the, the, the role of the kids themselves in finding their own food and finding ways to exploit adults. Um, sensory exploitation by cuteness of babies that are in tune to get what they need from their parents and their friends. Comparative brain anatomy teaches us what has happened to cortical regions that have been co-opted for new features? Where did we park this emerging function we, know, we call language? We have ways to image brains as they do tasks, be they uh, you know, flint napping or using an iPad, and asking what happens in those brains as they perform these functions. And the very recent exciting development of induced pluripotent stem cells allows some of us to study living neurons derived from the skin, a little bit of skin taken from a living ape or from a human, and we can even use genome editing to then introduce genetic changes and watch these neurons in company of some other cell types acting and connecting and starting to do, have action potentials and so forth. So I think the last 10 years have seen a lot of new developments that are extremely exciting. All this being said, Homo sapiens remains a singularity. Some of us might be accused of more human exceptionalism than others. That would probably accuse me of being too human exceptionalist. The troubling thing is 
It happened once. We are the last surviving hominid, and we do not have time machines. We can't really travel back and see what happened. Ancient DNA is a form of a time machine for the geneticists. We still don't know why we became bipedal. Almost certainly has something to do with the ecology, as Jim alluded to. We know that we have these large, costly brains, but what exactly drove that? Was it in conjunction with, with language, or did it predate language, and is it linked to the type of cultural dual inheritance that Joe Henrich was talking about? It's embarrassing the degree to, we, we don't even know when humans started using fire at will, and then use it to cook, and essentially detoxify the entire landscape, over 80% of things out there would kill you if you eat them. You boil them, the very same thing that would kill you now is a nutrient. We don't know how we became so obsessed with guessing and trying to understand what others feel and think about us, usually wrongly, but we do it all the time. What, what was it that made us symbolic? What allowed us to form these, these endlessly combinatorial systems that allow us to create meaning and share meaning? And finally, why is it only us that seem to be obsessed with understanding how we got where we are? To our knowledge, we haven't observed many chimpanzees in Bosu, Thai, or Gombe having discussions about uh, how, you know, why humans are so strange. So we hope to learn much more, and it involves the integration of ecological data. We can now reconstruct past e ecologies. We, we hope to learn more by understanding emerging languages and how language shapes cultures and with it our brains. A payoff of this is instant, as we've heard from these genes that seem to be human specialties. They're better versions of our species, but they tend to crash. And when they crash, we have neurological disorders. Ideas like the self-domestication hypothesis allow us to shoot down predictions. You know, they might be wrong, but at least you learn something when you disprove them. Completely new perspectives, such as Sarah Tifkoff's work on, on genomes from Africa, will actually completely change the view we have on the variability in the human genomes that is totally dominated by pink people from Northern Europe. <laughs> Gene culture coevolution, the role of, of how biological phenomena are influenced by inventions, technology, from fire to projectile weapons. And then this notion of a liability, the, the, the new constellations that allow the human phenomenon tend, tend to be the same things that come with a very big liability for, for mental health, for all kinds of interesting problems that we haven't really described in non-humans. I think one of our biggest hope is the incredible human imagination that now is enriched by deep learning imagination that will probably imagine things that we can't even imagine yet. We also need to look at the big picture and where we fit in in this blip of time, the last 10,000 years, the last interglacial that allowed us to go and take over the entire planet and now affect essentially causing the latest mass extinction. And hopefully, by thinking about things like the origins of morality, this might even help us get along a little bit better, maybe like the ravens and the, and the, and the, the wolves, but I'll take that. That seems, sounds pretty good. So with that, I'd like to uh, thank all of, all of you, to thank the people who made the symposium possible, thank the chairs, my co-chair, uh, Rusty, thank all of you speakers for giving us an incredible rapid-fire uh, ride today. 
and uh, we thank our supporters and sponsors, and also you, the audience here, and whoever is watching this in the webcast. And we hope very much to see you again soon. Thank you very, very much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.